Good evening and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got former Yovatar manager Steve Rutter, Ricky Hyatt, Hilda Pryor. And me. So get yourself comfortable for an hour of solid football banter. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of ADQ. Football? Bloody hell! I wasn't expecting that either. I do that every week. I'm about to introduce the show, and then I get to the line, and I'm like, I'm not going to say it, because I know what's going to happen. I don't do it well enough, so I may as well throw it over for you to throw it back to me. I'll be ready for it next week. (laughs) But as you can hear, AD Hopper is here again. Yeah, good evening. Week. How you doing, Aid? I'm all right. Good evening, everybody. Excellent. Ricky Hyatt here, as always. How you doing, Rick? I'm, I'm very well. Evening, everyone. Hello, hello. And finally, last but not least, our very own Steve Rutter returns. How you doing, Steve? Um, good, thank you. I, uh, I was a bit confused. I, I thought you were starting with a three-letter acronym when you said ADQ. <laughs> I was trying to work <laughs> out what you were doing. <laughs> now I've got it. ADQ, got it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, a bit slow. It took me yeah. by surprise as well, Steve, I can tell you. So, you know, there you go. So. So. Well. Well. Let's talk, let's talk about what's happened this weekend then, because when you look at the fixtures, what with the FA Cup, particularly the Premier League, um, the, the games that were being played around the FA Cup, you thought a lot of the games are a little bit spread out. They're a little bit disjointed this weekend. But my goodness, we weren't short of any drama, were we? Um, before we get to that, though, as always, um, let's start with uh, Yeovil Town because they got a really good point this weekend up away at Halifax. Yes, Halifax have sort of had a very similar to season to Yeovil in many ways. They're a team that have done pretty well over the last couple of years. Potentially, you could say they've punched above their weight a little bit, but uh, they lost their manager um, in the summer who went to Barrow, and um, they find themselves sort of in and around the bottom. But from a Yeovil perspective, uh, Malachi Linton getting a creditable draw. Um, Steve, I'll come to you first on this one. Obviously, the Oval was still very much in the thick of it at the wrong end of the table. It probably is a good point, especially on the road. But looking at how tight it is down the bottom, every time the Oval get a result, it does seem as though another one or two teams down in and around them get a result as well. But come the end of the season, these are the points on the road, which will hopefully matter, won't it? Yeah, you'd like to think so. Um it's probably nice as well that they actually got a late equaliser this time rather than conceding one and dropping points. So it always, you know, when you're in that situation, you always feel like you've won rather than, you know, because you've come back from nothing. And then there's a long journey home as well. So they've got time to reflect on it. But 
just looking at the table, they they really do need to put just a couple of wins together and you know and get a little bit of a, a buffer because as it is at the moment, you know they've got a game in hand over York above them. But even if they win that, they can't catch up with York. So they are a little bit adrift at the bottom in that bottom six. So I think they just need now to get a couple of couple of wins on the bounce and give themselves a bit of momentum going into the last few games of the season. Ada, you were at the press conference on Thursday. Um, what kind of mood did you feel the the camp is in at the moment? Because um, they have picked up a couple of results recently, uh, particularly the game at, at Chesterfield, and they won at home to Eastleigh as well. Does it seem as though the mood is relatively good despite the uh, position at the moment? I would say that you could sum up the rude by the word frustration. I think that uh, the manager and some of the players are are frustrated at their, their their lack of success in that they've been playing, you know. So, I mean, against Barnet they weren't too hot, but um, I think against Halifax they they put on a fairly good performance, and the one before Barnet, which escapes me now, but I'm sure somebody will tell me, they they played quite well, but they're just not getting the results, and you know, silly mistakes are, are, are creeping in, um, and you know, Steve's got it right. They, they they are getting a little bit adrift, and if they 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 need a couple of wins. You, you got it bang on, and they and, and you know until they get them, the pressure's going to be on all the time. And every game that we play means we've got those one guess one game left less to play, which is which is a worrying scenario, really. Rick, I'll bring you in. Um, like we we're just saying, it, it, it's it's frustration, isn't it? Because you, like Ad says, um, we spoke last week that I think before the weekend, Yeovil had sixteen draws in the league, which is yeah. by far the most in the division but it's sort of there's two ways of looking at it isn't there because you look at it and you think well there's probably a lot of those games in which Yeovil should have taken maximum points but at the same time it shows a strength in not to be beaten it's a it's a difficult one to to kind of weigh we, up which way which uh, side of the fence you're on on that one we discussed the number of draws the other week and there being good draws and bad draws and Steve's absolutely right to get a the draw in the manner that they did at the weekend is is momentum. Somebody should have shouted next goal wins and then that would have been a win rather than a draw. But you take it as that as momentum. Yeovletown put, put, put that out of uh, out of nowhere really and then you look at they've got Bromley on Saturday who are on a bit of a, a dodgy run themselves. They've lost the last two and only a draw. Is that the play. answer Rick? It's the equivalent of... Um your mum shouting around the corner and saying, you've got 10 yeah. minutes until tea's ready. So quickly. Yeah, I think they should bring that in. You should be able to shout, next goal wins. And it make things a whole lot more interesting. Especially if you get it. But it, Steve's absolutely right. It, it's a couple wins on the bounce. You look at you look at the league table as it is. And Yeovil are almost, almost in a situation where draws are no good. You need, you need those wins and you get you get a couple of wins out of, say, four games rather than getting three three draws. Yeah. Obviously, the difference is massive. And yeah. They do need to catch up with that group that's just ahead of them and become yeah. part of that. I mean, they would have been better, wouldn't they? Of the 16 draws, they'd have been better off losing eight of those games and winning eight. Yeah. They'd yeah. have had 24 points instead of 16. And that's the difference it, it makes, the three points for a win. And we spoke before the, about the amount of times they conceded late goals to go from winning positions to drawing that's positions. That's what I was going to say, Steve. That, that's coming back to haunt them a little bit now because they are yeah. you know, they are under pressure. Hopefully, they've got enough to see them through. Their goal difference, along with Gates, said he's very good in comparison to the other teams. So that might be yeah. worth a point at the end of the season. 
But you, know, you will look at the back of those days now and think to yourself, if only we'd have held out for another minute against Maidstone, you know, we'd, yeah. we'd have got an extra two points. And, and that was a re recurring theme. So, you know, hopefully, like I say, getting a getting a result in the last minute by or last couple of minutes by getting a goal back, hopefully might just give them a bit of momentum and a bit of belief. And, and if, you know, like you say, if they get a result against Bromley in the next game, then that might kickstart them on a run through to the end of the season. Because the precious few games left now, you can't afford to keep having these draws. And I wonder how many of those draws, say 16 draws, how many of those have been draws from winning positions? Because that's what, at the end of the day, end of the season rather, that's what's going to bite you over on the bum. The amount of points they've chucked away in the last 10 minutes of games is, mm. is ridiculous, really. Well, at the press conference, AD, you mentioned to, to Mark that out of the remaining games, um, it's crazy to think we've only really got a month left of the season because everything finishes in the National League at the end of April um, this year, that Yeovil do have a lot of games left to play, teams in and around them. And, you know, it, you could look at it and be like, OK, on paper, these are the games that, that you want because obviously you beat those teams in and around you then uh, that should get the job done. And that is the case. But at the same time, you're going to be playing these teams in exactly the same situation as you, which probably makes that fight a little bit more difficult. Yeah, well, Mark Cooper's reaction to that question was, uh, which kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, to me, the answer had to be a positive response. But his response was, yeah, well, that means we've got four teams that are desperate to get a point, same as we are. Mm. Which, you know, I thought, well, he's right. Of course he's right. Absolutely. But I just would have thought he would have perhaps been a little bit more positive with his response. Steve, have you been in a situation where you've... Had... <laughs> you knew that was coming. I can't, I can't, I can't ask AD or Rick that question. Um, yeah. But, you know, as um, AD touches on, Mark Cooper's not played it down but emphasised the fact that you know the situation of Dorking and a Gateshead yeah. is exactly the same as Yeovil but from your own players perspective does it give them a little bit of maybe not confidence and belief is the right word because you're in the form that you're in but you yeah. you think it is winnable and if you do win it then you can right. you know that proverbial six pointer so it does give you that little bit of a boost well, going into yeah, it. Yeah I mean it's funny isn't it we're, we're all human beings and we have this great ability to catastrophize all sorts of things um, so I can remember when I was playing for Yeovil and Clive Whitehead was manager and we went to Colchester United who were top of the table and we went there thinking you know we've they've got as much to lose as we have because we were near the bottom and they were at the top and actually we won 1-0 and what happens is if you're playing the teams around you you think well, they'll be scrapping for their lives. If you're playing the teams at the top, you're thinking, well, they'll be scrapping for points to get promotion. And then the weird thing is, you're playing the teams in the middle that have got nothing to play for. Your view is, well, their players will be really relaxed and they'll just go out and perform. So we've got, you know, we've got a game on our hands, whichever way it is. So I think it depends on you as an individual, really, how you want to project that. Um, and I'll see managers do it both ways. Managers play it up and also managers try and play it down. Um, but then if they play it down and they get beat, then obviously they suffer the consequences of the, the reaction from the media and that after the game. So it's, it's every man for himself, really, and, and you've just got to know your group and, and what strategy you think is, is going to get the best out of them come game time. And just the last point on Yeovil then, because there's a lot to get through uh, this weekend, but Rick, I'll come to you. Just how important do you think it will be between now and the end of the season that Yeovil have actually found themselves with a rare week off this week? It could be crucial because the games come thick and fast. But again, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? There's a lot to be said for momentum. 
And if you've got, if you're winning games, you don't want to go training. You'd rather play a, play another match. But get Bromley out of the way, and then the next two, Dorking and Gateshead, the two teams that are directly below you, well, they're, they're massive, really massive, and that could define how, how the mindset is going into the, the last two or three games of the season. So you want points out of those. You certainly don't want to lose them. Yeah, so as you say, it, there's a lot of draws so far this season for Yeovil, but then, you know, come the end of the season, if they're right side of the line, then you can look back and go, they're all good draws in the end. Because <laughs> that's, that's what the target is now, uh, definitely. But the drawing those games, just a sec, drawing those games yeah. against Dorking and Gateshead, although it maintains that gap, it might not be the worst thing in the world, because it, like I said, it, does, it maintains that distance between you and them. You're not losing ground, and that's the most important thing. So on to the cup then. So this weekend was the FA Cup quarterfinals. I missed um, that. In the end, it was uh, just to round up the whole lot really is that Manchester United, Manchester City, Sheffield United and Brighton all find themselves going to Wembley where Manchester United will play Brighton, I think I'm right in saying, and Manchester City will play Sheffield United. Um, Steve, before I come to the United boys, I want to come to you first. Purely because I want an objective view of how you saw what you the game. Suggesting? I don't know if you saw it. We'll, we'll come to you, Rick. We'll come to you, Rick. Because, well, for 75 minutes, Fulham probably had, well, they, they did have the, the better of it. And from Mark yeah. Silver's point of view, he probably, before the game, looked at that first 75 minutes and think, I couldn't have asked for it to have gone any better and then in the space of a minute they've completely lost their heads the coaching staff the players everyone and from that moment on you always felt that Manchester United were going to take it away from Fulham and that's what happened but are Fulham going to get a better chance to get themselves to FA Cup semi-final Steve? Um, Well you don't know I mean they they were in a good position weren't they but I'm I'm not quite sure what all the fuss was about because from what you know I saw the the replays of the of the penalty. Um, he moves his arm across the front of his thigh to make sure he makes contact with the ball. So the referee doesn't really have any option but to send him off. So at that, if they equalise, you know you can still survive with ten men even if they score the penalty. You just stay in the game. But then what Mitrovic did afterwards to get himself sent off as well. So that now they're down to nine men, and and then you just know it's going to be a mountain. So. Um, yeah, they imploded really, didn't they? And and I'm sure when they sit back and look at it later on, they may feel aggrieved. They might have thought they should have had a penalty earlier. All those things, but it doesn't negate the unprofessionalism that they showed in that moment because those things happen, and you just have to learn to deal with them. As frustrating as it is, Rick, watching it, were you always hopeful or expectant, possibly, that something would happen? Or the way it was going, were you thinking it was going to rely on something extraordinary, whether a really good goal or a piece of madness like what happened, to sort of get you back into it and get you going? Uh, No. I thought that United looked knackered. There's been a massive... Nobody's played more games uh, in club football than United since the World Cup, and it's starting to starting to show a little bit. I just thought they ran out of ideas. Although, having said that, bringing Anthony on and moving Sancho to the left, they were always going to be able to play on the break with those two, but that's more hopeful than than uh, anything else. So, for Fulham to do what they did was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit 
fortunate. Steve, as a former manager, as a referee's gone to VAR, have you ever thrown a water bottle at him and told him to F off? Uh, I can't remember. If I did throw it, I'd probably have missed him. So, um, But no, I mean, I just think the whole thing, like the way they reacted, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those moments where a flash moment. Um, it was extreme though, wasn't it? For, for the situation. Yeah, it was. It gave away a clear penalty. And to react yeah. in that way, both Mitrovic and, and Silva, was, it was incredible. An incredible yeah. reaction. Well, it's, it's funny because when I saw on my phone that um, they'd had two sent off, even before I looked at the names, I said one of them's Mitrovic, and sure enough, it was. Um, because he plays on the edge, and that's the sort of fellow who's very, you know, Serbian, and he's got that very strong sort of emotions. He lets them come out in games, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. And unfortunately for them, it was, it, you know, it just compounded the fact that they give away a penalty, have Willian sent off, and then, you know, you expect Man United to score the penalty. So don't do anything stupid and make it even easier for them. And then he yeah. goes and does that. So it's just unforgivable, really. He said at least the ref didn't have to go to his pocket because he already had the, his red card in the air for William. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mitrovic was there right underneath it, ready for, uh, yeah. ready to get his. But AD, what did, you, what did you make of it? Because it's like the boys are saying that the, the reaction was so not, not bizarre because we've seen that that does happen in football. But was it just the fact that, from a Fulham perspective, they had played so well? And they were probably it would probably just boiled over for the fact that they were so close to, you know, knocking Manchester United out, and then it all went just horribly wrong from their perspective and was boiled over in the totally the wrong way. Well, yeah, I'm not. You know, I was sat there watching it, and a couple of things. You know, I mean, it's ironic that first of all, United were playing badly. I thought I, I just I couldn't see them scoring at that point. I really couldn't see them scoring, uh, which was frustrating me. And then they kept. Passing the ball back all the time, and that really winds me up when I see players from midfield and the defenders passing back, pass it back, pass the bloody thing forward. You're never going to score going backwards. So that was annoying me. Um, but I, I was eternally grateful to Fulham to, um, you know, thank them for the fact that they turned the whole game round in the split second by losing their heads completely. But which, which you know, I mean. Rick's right. We've had a lot of games, an awful lot of games. No, you know, no clubs paid more than us, and and you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna get a treble, I mean, the quadruple's still on. But I mean, let's be honest. We all know that we're not going to get a quadruple. It, it won't happen. I know that. You know that. Um, even getting the treble's not going to be easy. But nonetheless, we're in in as good a position as we can be to get a treble at the moment. You know, we're in the semi-finals of one. Uh, quarterfinals of the other, and we've already got one on the on the on the table. So, you know, they're they're doing okay. And I, I thought when Anthony came on, I must admit he really did turn the game very quickly. He's a little niggly, a little sod as well, though, isn't he? He seems to get involved pretty much as soon as he's on. He was there. There was little 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 skirmishes, shall we call them? You know, um, but he did the job. Bless him. So good for him. So Manchester United. March on then. Um, in the other half of Manchester, it, I think possibly we're all on the same page here because we know about the players that Manchester City have got and what they've achieved in the last, well, 10 years really. But it feels like in the FA Cup, you get you get taxes, you get death in life. Death in life, and you also get Manchester United steam and uh, Manchester City steamrolling a team from the lower leagues in the FA Cup. It just seems to happen time and time again. 
And the fact that Manchester City have now drawn Sheffield United, as good as Sheffield United have been, I can't help but think that City are probably going to hit five or six at Wembley and it's not going to be a very good spectacle from a neutral perspective. But, Steve, it's all right me saying that. If you're a City fan, you're obviously absolutely loving it. But can you see why, possibly as the casual viewer, that you just get a little bit fed up of no, no contest in any of these games? Yeah, I, you know, I think Paul Heckingbottom will be thinking that he can try and make it a contest. Um, I don't think what he'll be doing is what Vincent Company was trying to do, which is you know get Burnley to play like Man City away at Man City. And they thought they might be able to do it in the Championship, but it's a completely different level of challenge. So I'm imagining that Paul will be slightly more pragmatic. He'll probably accept that Man City have got better players and and try and make it very difficult for them. Um, and then you know hope to get something on the break or from set plays or whatever. But I mean, Man City, when they're in that sort of form, are just awesome, aren't they? Seven against Leipzig in midweek, you know, six in the cup, just just awesome. And it's a joy to watch, to be fair. Of course, the other thing to bear in mind, um, Elder, is that um, Manchester City's fixture list going down to that that game, that is perhaps the only little crumb of comfort that us, the rest of us, have got. In that they've, they've got the, the game against Bayern Munich beforehand, I think, um, which obviously is going to be a tough game. The result could could have a huge bearing on what they what how they turn up for the next game, because if they lose, well then they're going to be determined more so than if they win. If they win, you know, are they going to go into it thinking we're all conquering and we're going to just steamroll this lot and then get caught out? I don't know. And and also they're going to I should think they're going to change the team around a bit as well. So I think that's the only crumb of comfort the rest of us have got. So you mentioned about that. When it comes to a, a team like City that always seems to find themselves at, at this stage of the competition, I know you, you can't really get ahead of yourselves too much, but is it almost better, if you do get City in a cup run, it's better to try and get them in a quarters or semi to try and knock them out before you get to a final? Or is it always a case of get to the final and then you just take your chance on the day? Well, I'd, I'd sooner knock them out beforehand and then you can enjoy the day. on the club, doesn't it? It depends on, on the opposition. For someone like um, Sheffield United, they'd rather play them in the final because it's more of a novelty yeah. and effective for Sheffield United to get to the final. Whereas a Premier League club, would you would think that they'd be reaching finals more often. So um, it's, it's not such a much of a, a big day out. So Adrian's right, you probably want to play them and just to add another, just to add another layer, Rick, as well. That in that game yesterday, um, so yesterday was yesterday, wasn't it? Between Sheffield United and Blackburn, brilliant yeah. game. Oh, but yeah. Sheffield United, Sheffield United's two best players are yeah. on loan from Manchester City and won't be able yeah. to play in the cup semi-final. You can't write it. It's a, you've got to be gutted at that, haven't you? But you know, Sheffield United. I think it's it's the old cliche, isn't it? Their their priority would be getting back in yeah. the Premier League. You would have thought. Yeah. Or was Absolutely. it was it Tommy Doyle? Was it who scored the yeah. thirty-yard yeah. screamer to then not oh, play oh. in the next round? Yeah, yeah. Just, so, just a thought though about about City's. Uh, if City do uh, win the FA Cup, is this one of the ones that they'll lose when they get rumbled for financial fair play, or will they be allowed to keep this one? Good point, Rick. Because in in a sense, they could be playing for nothing right now if uh, the Premier League grow a pair and sort them out for their uh, misdemeanours in the past. The trouble is it'll take the Premier League about 15 years to come to a conclusion on that one anyway. Yeah. Am, am I the only one that finds it unedifying that the semi-finals are at Wembley? 
No, you're not. I, I, I mean, I, I understand the FA have got to utilise the stadium to compensate and get the money back and all that. But it used to be that it was a very, very special occasion to go to Wembley. For, and now yeah, all the semi-finals yeah. there as well. I, I think that sort of like takes something away enjoy, from it really, for me. I used to enjoy Old Trafford and Villa Park. Why it was those two stadiums, I don't know. But it yeah. seemed to be. And those, those two, if you look at it geographically, the fixtures... Those are the two grounds that would be used because yeah, yeah. obviously Villa Park would be midway between United and Brighton, and you've got two northern clubs in the other one, so you would assume it would be at Old Trafford. So I, it's not been this. I don't enjoy Wembley, not that United have been to an awful lot recently, but I don't like the idea of using Wembley for the semi finals. I think it, it lessens the whole thing about going to Wembley. Is yeah, yeah especially for the small. I mean, supposing, just supposing. Grimsby had beaten Brighton, you know, and then and then they they go to Wembley and and, and win in the semi final and and then or get knocked out rather in the semi final, then they can't go to a Wembley final and it's a Wembley final, isn't it? That's that's the that's the yeah. the wording, isn't it? You know, it's not a Wembley semi final. It hasn't got the same sort of <laughs> kudos at all, has it? The thing is, we're all a bunch of old farts. I think we'd all prefer. Are we? Have... I am. Well, you're, you're, you're getting there, mate. <laughs> Sat there with your apron on. You're, you're well on the way, son. But, yeah, I don't uh, help myself. Go on. <laughs> we, would all, we would all like, I'm sure, the FA Cup final to be on the Saturday after the season's finished yeah. at three o'clock yeah. at Wembley. Absolutely. Because that's when the FA Cup final is. Yeah, quite agree. Steve, just, just touching on that as well, would, would little things like that just may mean that teams and clubs actually take it that little bit more seriously does that kind of element to it add to that at all because you're right uh, rick says it used to be you know that one one day where it was just all the build-up was about the fa cup yeah. maybe we've gone too far in the world now where it wouldn't be like that now even if it was a one-off game at the end of the season i don't know but i just wonder if that changes the psyche of yeah. people's perspective of going for it or not, as the case may be. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, it used to be the way to bring down the curtain on the season, didn't it? You know, everything else yeah. had been done and dusted. Yeah. And now, you know, we've had games where there's been league games after the cup final, and it's sort of like just another game that's wedged in somewhere to get it out of the way, which sort of detracts from it a little bit. But uh, I suppose, we, like you say, we've all grown up, haven't we, with the, the historic road to Wembley on a Saturday morning and everything, and, and your whole day was dedicated just to sitting and watching all of that, and it was it brought the season to a close. So I just I think it loses a little bit, and I, and I think the reality is the big teams they pay lip service to it until they get into the latter stages, and then if you know if they're out of competition for other stuff and they've got a chance of winning the cup, it suddenly becomes a priority for them. I think Rick's right for Sheffield United if they had a choice between getting to the cup final and getting promoted. The players, the fans, everybody will take promotion every time. So that's where it sits in the pecking order, really. I can remember before I debunked from London down to Somerset to live, the 1963, I think it was, cup final. I remember. I must get... have been out that day. You must 63. have been, yeah. yeah. United <laughs> against Leicester City. But I can remember getting on my bike in the morning and riding my bike over to Wembley to buy a programme. Yeah, 1963, United against Leicester. So, you know, it, it was an occasion. And then I get back, having got my programme, and then you'd watch the, the bus and they'd be on the cameras, would be on the bus, and yeah. it, oh, it was brilliant. It was just, you know, 
and all the celebrities would be there, whoever they supported. And it, no, it's great, and it's it's the end of an era, certainly. And, yeah. and uh, but there's, never, there's so much hype back. around every other game now, isn't there? Well, mm. it's a Premier League game, just an average Premier League game. I say, it's so much hype around all of it that the uniqueness and the specialness of the the cup final has just been absorbed into everything else, really. Yeah, uh, well, yeah it, also it just used it, to be the um, only time you'd see a, a full match live on the telly, wouldn't it? Back in the day. Oh, yeah, point. yeah. Well, that's why it was called Match of the Day, was it not? Because it was just that one-off game. Mm. So untold. I don't know. I've always been used to watching at least multiple games on a Saturday afternoon. You you were probably too busy doing the washing up at the time, um, Hilda. Yeah, yeah, I probably was. Don't don't let it get to you too much. Um, Just very quickly on that, I'm just going to shoehorn in... A very quick topic because it sort of links in. Before you that. do that, before you do that, before you do that, just before we oh, go. You want to shoehorn a shoehorn? Yeah, I want to shoehorn it. I just noticed on the Yelvertown website that they are carrying on their reduced charges right to the end of the season, which I think is a great gesture. And hopefully. Is there another bit? Another um, bit with that. If you've got a season ticket, you can bring someone in. For yeah, for free as well. Um, you know, yeah. ho- hopefully, a it's a great gesture. B it'll cre- increase the crowd, and C hopefully it'll increase the atmosphere and give Yeovil a bit of a extra man on the pitch kind of thing. So um, yeah, that's all. All right, move on. Yeah, come on down Don't to Hewish Park. Come on down to Hewish <laughs> Park. Absolutely. Mm. Like you said, we've been Thorpey in particular has been sort of banging that drum for a long time for. Uh, for you able to be able to do something like that, to be able to pack the park, because I think that they're touting it again. So yeah, great stuff. He's too busy From playing golf ownership. now, though, isn't he? Tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, trying to. Some yeah. might say. Yeah. Some might say trying to. But just talking about um, match of the day of years gone by, etc., and just how football used to be. I just wondered very quickly. Not that we do things very quickly on football, bloody hell, but. Are we at a point now where we should be past the point of this three o'clock back blackout that seems to be, or do we think that that would have a knock-on effect to the games that are picked for different times on television schedules? Uh, Rick, do you want to take that one first? Do you think oh, that thanks. will change anything? Because the reasoning has always been that we don't show the games because... Yeah. Um, you know, if we did, no one would go to the, no one actually go to the games themselves. But I just don't think that's true. It's okay to possibly have the blackout, but I think the reasoning at least has got to change now. Yeah, the thing is, there are that many streaming services where you can get get hold of uh, matches if you want to watch. Which we club. do not condone here on um, Football Bloody no. Hell. No, absolutely <laughs> not. It's naughty and don't do it. But we all know people that, we all know somebody that does. So, it's not actually, um, it's not true anymore, is it? But I certainly think even if they're going to try and hang on to that one, then when you get a situation where you get, because um, a lot of fixtures are getting moved because of the Europa League or whatever, Premier League fixtures are getting moved on to Sunday. There's no reason why all the, all the fixtures that are played on Sunday can't be shown live. I know they, they do deals with packages at the start of the season and you get so many, a lot of games, but if they, even if they're going to try and keep Saturdays free, all the games that are played on a Sunday should be available to watch somewhere. But um, I think it's had its day. It's had its time, served its purpose. And if people want to watch matches, they can. So it's a bit, it's a bit of an anomaly, really. Uh, AD, do you think it would change um, 
sports corporations bidding for different packages, as Rick puts it, because you have the games at specific times. I.e., you look at Super Sunday; it's always at two o'clock in the afternoon or half past four kickoff, etc. Whereas if they started to televise the three o'clock games, then it wouldn't be seen as so. I don't know, unique and special, I suppose, in many ways. If every game was shown live. Well, I think the the point that Rick makes is is, is relevant, really. That that you know. Virtually every game, no matter whether you've got illegal streaming or not, you can somehow get it on TV. I mean, I noticed last week, I think it was, that um, Man United's game was being covered by Peacock TV. Well, A, who the hell are Peacock TV? But they were still covering it. So, I mean, it's, it's totally outdated now. Absolutely totally outdated. Steve, do you concur? Um, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, I, I suppose... The rationale initially wasn't so much about fans who support Chelsea, you know, not going to watch Chelsea because Man City are playing on telly. It was the fans of Rochdale who also support yeah. Man City not going to watch Rochdale because Man City are live on telly. Um, so I think as long, if they could, they could certainly ring fence certain periods of time where there aren't, you know, there aren't live games being shown. Just Would make sure they don't. Saturday class. and final score programs like that also be semi redundant. No, I think, I think again, it's like we're saying about the FA Cup. They're, they're institutional, aren't they? You know, soccer Saturday, final score on a Saturday afternoon in the car, listening to James Alexander-Gordon or whoever it is now. They're, they're part and parcel of the fabric of English football. So I, I don't think we can lose that. I understand the TV companies want to spread games out over a period of time. Therefore, they can show more. Therefore, they can charge more money for the subscriptions, etc. And the Premier League and the Football League can make more money out of it. So that's the business side of football. But ultimately, it's got to be a service that suits the supporters because those are the people that pay for the subscriptions and pay to go and watch the games. Um, so I'm, I wouldn't be in favour of them showing the games live at three o'clock if it was going to compromise the National League clubs and the second division sides and the first division sides. Um, and that's probably where their biggest concern is, I would think. A quick quick shout, sorry, Rick, just a quick shout out to the National League, just touching on that, to say stop putting games like Gateshead versus Yeovil on a Tuesday night. The amount of people that I've spoken to have had to change their plans and flights and all sorts because of that arrangement. But yeah, go on, Rick. I was just going to say that in, um, I'm not sure exactly the logistics of it, but there used to be a system in place in America, I'm not sure if they still do it now with the NFL, that if a game wasn't a sell out or something then there would be a local tv blackout i mean i'm not sure how manageable that would actually be but um that was one thing they tried to do to encourage people to have a live game go to see a live game as their first option rather than watching something on telly i mean i'm not sure how workable that would be legally or anything else but um i, I just i just i just think as we said before the fact that you if you want to watch a Premier League game at the same time as your local team are playing at the moment, by hook or by crook, you can. So I think we've all sports already jumped the shark as far as that goes. So it's solving a problem that doesn't really exist. So they just ought to open it up. Well, I think that was a quick shoehorn there, guys. Thank you very much uh, for contributing to that one. Um, let's go into the Premier League then, because let's start with. Arsenal, because I want to, particularly in the second half of the podcast, I want to talk about the relegation battle as a whole. But looking at the results that there were this this weekend, I think we can probably take it through game by game, to be honest. But I want to start with Arsenal because, obviously, from a title push from Arsenal's perspective, they're still pushing. It was important for them because 
possible significant uh, blow struck for them that they've gone eight points clear because City played in the Cup and there's now an international break. And I believe I'm right in saying that nobody at this point of the season has had a four-point gap or more and lost the title, if you'd like stats like that and believe in those. But on the flip side, Crystal Palace, well, they've been horrendous form, haven't they? They haven't won in 12. Um, three games in a row, I believe they didn't even have a shot in target, which I think is yep. a disgraceful stat. Um, when you actually break it down, Rick, we spoke about it on Saturday, but when you actually yep. look at the stats, it's kind of no surprise in one element why Steve Parrish decided to pull the trigger when it comes to the decision of sacking Patrick Vieira, when you actually look at it on paper. But there's a second side to that. Whoever comes in, whether it be 92-year-old Roy Hodgson or whoever comes in to the end of the season, they've had a tough run of fixtures, which is why they haven't won this calendar year. What about the shots on target stats? I mean, that's that's really bad, isn't it? Regardless of who you're playing? If you're going to lose, it doesn't matter doesn't matter does it really if you're going to lose you're going to lose but the thing is whoever comes in now has a much easier run of fixtures so statistically they're going to look better than Patrick I think it's a shocking decision if I was Patrick Vieira I would be particularly cheesed off with that one because he inherited a mess at that club contract wise and player wise that was left by Roy Hudson three and he's the bloke that they want to get back into sort of situation so it's a bit of a joke really but um, as far as Arsenal goes, I think the title is pretty much pretty much theirs to lose now. Do you agree with that, Eddie? Quadruples on, mate. I'm telling you, the quadruples on. <laughs> Good um, Lord. So no, I guess you don't agree. That is what you're saying. <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm I'm always an optimist. I oh, I can't ever change that. It's part of my my makeup. Blimey, th- Eddie. There's being an optimist and being bloody stupid. If you don't mind. Saying. <laughs> don't you swear at me, my son. <laughs> What I will say is this. First of all, Arsenal have played a game more. So their actual lead at the moment is five points in reality, or could potentially be. Secondly, um, they've still got to play Manchester City away. And frankly, I think Manchester City will win that quite easily, quite honestly. Um, So that would would knock it down to three points. Or no, two points. Quite easily? Do you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I think well, the way they're okay. going. So that means then, and they, you're going to get. They're bound to. They haven't won it for 19 years. Therefore, they're going to get a few coddy wobbles, I reckon, towards the end of the season. And and I genuinely think that there is still a chance for um, even United, albeit very slim. But I just think there is. As long as it's mathematically possible, you never know. And don't make that sign at me, Mr. Hyatt. I'm not completely round the bend, even though you'd like to think so. So you're a lot further <clears> round <throat> it than I am. Yeah, well, possibly, but but no, you know, I mean, reality says they probably will win it. But on the other hand, as long as it's mathematically possible, I'm not giving up from United's point of view, and I'm sure Manchester City won't be giving up from their point of view either. Rick, do you have? Is it too soon to say yet, from your perspective, who you think <laughs> might do it, or? Uh, do you see either one of City or Arsenal? I'm assuming you think at least it's going to be one of those two that will win it. Yes, being of the same mind that I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually looking at the the way that uh, the fixtures are panning out. If United do lose to uh, the Geordies in their first game back, it gets a bit squeaky bum for United actually qualifying for uh, 
for the Champions League in the top four, so I wouldn't be counting too many chickens there either. How do you see it all, Steve, at the top end at the moment? Well, I don't think it's done and dusted yet. Um, I think they're doing better than I'd probably anticipated because when we spoke about it before, we said... Arsenal? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we said before, didn't we, when when they get in and around the final sort of half a dozen games, when the, the it's within touching distance, that's when the nerves kick in. Um, but actually, going out to sport in Lisbon in the Europa League may have done them a favour because that's going to reduce their demands. Um, people like Zinchenko have been there and seen it, and he, you know, he he knows how to win titles. So I think it's going to be close, uh, and I think it's probably going to be too close to call. But they've probably got a slight edge at the moment because Man City have got to win the game in hand, but they've also got the Champions League as well to consider. They've got the FA Cup to consider. Arsenal just focus on the Premier League now. There's one ironic thing about this, is if, if it all goes terribly wrong for Arsenal and City do win the league and then they somehow manage to uh, to win the Champions League, it will be down to, hopefully, down to Manchester United in an FA Cup final to once again spoil the treble dreams of a pretender because only one team can win the treble. They did it to Liverpool in 77 stop them winning the treble and it could be down to United to stop City doing a treble this season as well just a thought oh, there you go there you go let's see what happens stay tuned overthinking it stay tuned up until the end of the season well another so you mentioned the chase for the top four Rick what on earth is going on at Spurs let alone what's going on at Southampton Steve was on it's... when we spoke about the um Obviously, what happened with Nathan Jones down at Southampton and all the recruitment policy and everything that's gone on with them this season. It's funny, isn't it? Because over the last month or so, Southampton have actually picked up some credible, uh, credible um, points and performances. Yeah, it hasn't really gotten anywhere. Um, well, if anything, it's yeah, just kept them. Yeah, it's just kept them within touching distance. But on the flip side, with Spurs. I don't really understand what's going on with them because everyone's talking about the top four race. I don't quite know how they are where they are. They obviously must have got off to a really good start to the season because it feels like that they haven't really played well for the best part of yeah. <laughs> two months. Is that fair to and say, And yet they're Rick? still there. <laughs> in fact, they are, ma- they are managed by the only man in the country, I think, madder than Adrian Hopper. Thank you for those super kind words. Um, did you see Conte's... I was say, can you relate to Conte's rant, AD? No, I can't speak Italian, really, so I'd I, I find it difficult. You but, can't speak English that uh, well. Up yours. Um, the one thing that uh, it, it gets me... Re- if you look at the uh, the league table as it stands at the moment, the the gap in the points, I think it was 12th. From anybody from 12th lower stands a chance of getting relegated, which is absolutely amazing. Twelve, and and it's not like there's any huge points that nobody's cut adrift because they're not. I Four think, points between yeah, that group. It's a it's a crazy situation. As for Tottenham, um, well, I mean, I can't really see how how Tottenham are, um, you know, going to be able to keep him as a manager. I I, I mean it. You know, are the Would team they want to aid? Well, no, pro- probably not. I mean, are the t- Steve? You're an ex-professional footballer. If your manager came out and started ruffling on like that, what what would your response be? Would it be, oh, I'm going to really, you know, knuckle down and and win for him, or would you think, oh, I'm not going to play for that idiot? You know, 
How would it work? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Again, it's. I mean, he's, he looks like he's trying to work his move, doesn't it? It looks mm. like he's had enough and he wants to get out, and he's he's yeah. trying to do things to maybe incite the club to say let's let's move him on now. Um, but also, in in a way, you know, I quite admire him for if he genuinely feels that that some of the players down in tools, but it would probably be better if he did it internally rather than externally. Mm. Um, do you think maybe he has tried to do it internally? And it's yeah, not well, I think it's, it feels like it's a last resort. Yeah, like, like a thing last that he's trying. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and listen, the players get either sacked. That's the reality. They're all happy to take the plaudits yeah. when things are going well, and mm-hmm. they'll take the you know the pay rises, and they all want a bonus if they win a game and all that sort of stuff. But they never want to shelve the responsibility of when they've had a bad performance. You know, they're three one up at Southampton, and throw it away. And then drop another two points, you know, when they're ch- chasing the Champions League place. And you, the you question, do have to—they've got a soft underbelly. They've had it for years yeah. and years and years, and he doesn't seem to have been able to solve it any more than anybody else. But then, so, why are Spurs so desperate to get Champions League football if this year's Champions League they put in a performance like they did against Milan? What's the point of being in the competition, yeah, other than yeah. the financial rewards, if that's how you're going to perform in it? Well, but, but Steve, I'm trying to get into your head as an ex-professional player, though. What would you do, given that set of circumstances, as a player? Well, I think it would depend if how I actually felt about myself. If I felt like I'd shirked it and he'd called me out over it, I'd think, you've been found out. You'd better pull your finger out. If I felt I was working my taters off and he's had a go generally at everybody, I'd want him to then come in and say to people, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about you, you and you. Mm. you know? um, but again, I think... Society's changed there. You, you can't do that with players anymore. No, they're so precious and so fragile. I'm surprised their mums and their agents aren't ringing him up and saying, you know, they're not coming training today because they're, you know, they're upset. You've got to them. Yeah. Well, yeah. not only that, Steve. Daniel Levy surely ain't going to be too happy with the fact that he's come out and said that 20 years of ownership and no trophies. Like, I mean, he's pretty much stuck it to every single area of Tottenham Hotspur, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I say I think he's trying to work his ticket because, you know, you don't, you don't say stuff. I thought, you know, Scotty Parker did it as well, didn't he, at the start of the season when, when Bournemouth got beat? Yeah, that got him the sack, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. It got him the sack, but I think he did it deliberately knowing that he was going to get the sack because he thought, I don't want to be involved in another relegation battle with this lot and I'm not going to take the can for it. You know, I've tried to get stuff done, it's not happened. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast. I think with Conte, maybe his expectations, it's not matched up, whatever... You know, he's had, the, he's had the health issues and stuff like that as well. Maybe he's just, he thought he could implement something there and it hasn't happened and, and he's decided enough enough and he's got another offer waiting maybe back in Italy somewhere. Mm. It was a good run it's... though, fair dues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. It was like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just like, you see it in a pub or something where, you know, someone's just, annoyed that one person just that little bit too far and then he ends up just losing it and everything goes everywhere and then it's it just explodes into this massive massive thing and you think everyone sat there thinking oh what what triggered that because <laughs> uh, did he did he just get in, did he just get into his rant and then he said thank you very much and then he got up and left yeah but i mean it's interesting too the fact that he waited you know he didn't do it he didn't do it outside on the pitch when they or, you know, the, the directly after the game. He waited until all the press were in there. Because, obviously, yeah. when they do the, the, the straight after the final whistle one, it's not all the press in there. It's just your TV camera and maybe your press officer, and that's it. 
So we waited until he was in, in inside in the proper press conference with all the press in there, and then he pressed the button and he was away. You know, I, I, yeah. it was uh, it was kind of uh, ironic, really. I thought that he could. I did laugh at how many times he said, it's unacceptable. <laughs> it is unacceptable. While you're on the subject of Spurs, um, Rick and I were discussing this before we came on air earlier on. Um, Spurs apparently have announced that they want £100 million for um, Harry Kane. What, what's the general consensus? Well, I suppose it's certainly... I know what Rick's is, but I, we'll get him to give it as well. But what, what's the general consensus about that? Do you think that's... A good price? Do you think he's a good player to get, or do you think he's past his best? I think oh, I don't think he's past his best. No, by all, um, I think he's very much sort of in his prime. I would have I would have suggested. I think a hundred million is possibly about right because in the summer doesn't he have twelve months left? Yeah, is that it? Yeah, but he's still relatively high end enough to possibly warrant that transfer. I think. I think we've gone past a time now where somebody's worth a certain amount of money, but they have six months left on the contract, so they let them go for like three million quid because it's better than getting nothing. I don't, I don't think that happens anymore. I think it's a case of you still pay good money or you don't get the player at all. I think we've sort of, it's gone too far now in that respect. But I think with the way that strikers are performing at the moment, you look at Lewandowski, Benzema. Ibrahimovic scored at the weekend. Rashford. years old. Well, no, I'm, I'm, he's not in that bracket yet. I mean, in terms of age. Um, but there's a lot of Kane needs to leave now. Kane needs to leave now. But I don't know if he does because he could quite easily still be a relatively 20-goal-a-season striker at the age of 36. So he's still well, probably got more time than people... All right, well, let, let me ask you this then. Would you want your gentleman that stood right behind you, would you want him to go out and buy him for £100 million? Um, No, because it means we wouldn't try and get Bellingham. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Bellingham was a striker, but anyway, carry on. Yeah, but, I mean, we don't really... We, no, I mean, if we spend I mean, £100 million, we're likely to spend it only on one player only, I'd mm. imagine. What do you think, uh, Steve? Think hundred million now is about the average rate for an average player, isn't it? Hmm. If you think Fernandez has gone for hundred and five million from Benfica to Chelsea, you know, suddenly when you're talking about the players we're talking about there, I mean, what figure you're talking about now if Mbappe moves on? Is it going to be two hundred million, three hundred million? I think I think the money is irrelevant. It's, you know, people say age is a number. I think price tags a number now. The, the clubs just absorb it somewhere, don't they? So, you know, if you go somewhere for hundred million, where's he going to go? You know, he's got to be somewhere where he's going to fit, isn't it? That's the thing. I mean, do you Remember, think Spurs have had, had the best of him, though? That's the worry, isn't it? Since you have the ankle operations, he still, you know, he still scores goals. He still does top English goal scoring in the Premier League. Um, is he is he going to get better and better? I'm I'm not sure he is. Um, will he score? Yeah, he'll probably score. If he's in a top six club, he'll probably score twenty goals a season. Um, is that going to be enough now? When you look at the sort of numbers that Haaland's turning out. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but is is Harlan going to hang around for much longer, or is he going to go to Real Madrid or something? You can quite see that happening. That's what I'm saying. You know, who knows? But what will be the price tag for him if he moves on mm. with the with the number of goals he scored? Um, I know it's difficult, isn't it? But I just think the market's become so distorted now. If somebody says he's worth 100 million, it's worth 100 million. Simple mm. as that. Somebody will. Would you it. take it? Would you take him, Aid? 
Well, no, I've been thinking. Price? I've been thinking about it, and to be honest, I don't think I would want to buy him. Um, yeah, yes, he's a good player. I'm not saying that he's not, but he's he's thirty odd, and I I just think Spurs have probably had the best of him. And and twenty nine. Twenty nine is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I just think they've had the best of him. Where there are other strikers about. I mean, this bloke over at Napoli for one. Um, but there's others. There's a French guy. I can't think of his name, but he came on a little bit in the World Cup. Uh, you know, much younger and potentially going to give you give you much more for your money. So I wouldn't personally, if I was um, Eric, I wouldn't go out and buy him personally. Rick, what do you reckon? Uh, it depends totally on what Eric. Ten Hag wants and where he sees the development of United. I think if he's looking longer term, no. But having, I thought I'd have thought about this, and I know days straight away Rick would say no. I wouldn't necessarily at 100 million, but when you look at United's best starting eleven at the moment, Varan, Fernandez, Casemiro, they're all 30 or there or thereabouts. So he would fit in with that age profile of those players. If you're looking to do something major within the next two or three seasons, then he pro- and he, the st- his style of play really suits a Ten Hag team. So I could see there being some validity in if you could do a deal that was satisfactory to everybody, I could see the benefit to it. But um, pers- personally, I think there's better... I think they're from a United point of view, there's better options. We haven't got long left. Who's going? Who's getting relegated? Because that's the most interesting thing about the Premier League now. Well, your, I wanna, your, your, um, your tip of, of every year, um, Leeds, Leeds um, yeah. big win this weekend for them. Lukey Ayling, of course, yeah. um, friend of this parish, uh, getting on the score sheet as well. I just wanted to quickly touch on what you thought of um, Lopetegui and some of his... Um, reactions to some of the decisions because I don't know if you saw the red card for example um, of Johnny it was a horrendous challenge and Lopetegui seemed to take ownership with that red card in particular and some of the other decisions I think the last goal but I don't think he I don't really know what he was complaining about I thought kind of similar to what we said about Marco Silva but I felt that most of the decisions the referee got right in that one did you see it Rick? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's distraction, isn't it? Wolves didn't, Wolves didn't turn up, and they've they've got problems as far as because there's such a tight group there. I know they're 13th at the moment with 27 points, but you struggle to see where they're going to score goals, and they're on a bit of a, a rubbishy run at the moment. So I would, I don't think they're one of the um, safer teams within that group in the slightest. Well, they all pick up points at different times, don't they? I mean, like yeah. you say, it wasn't that long ago. We we're saying Wolves will be all right now under Lopetegui and Forrest have picked up a bit. But Forrest's away form has always been bad. Now they can't win at home. Everton could only win at home. They've now picked up a point on the road. And their young youngster, Alice Sims, I think it's Alice Sims, yeah. who um, got the goal. Um Rick, had, um, Rick, you are Rick. I've just been talking to you. Steve, yeah. how do you see how it's going? It's... It's going to be a case of we'll get to the game 38 and yeah. there'll still be, quite conceivably, six or seven teams that are still to drop. Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, I'm looking at the table. I think it's remarkable. You've got Palace in 12th with 27 points and then Villa in 11th with 38. So there's an 11-point gap there. So we literally got two halves of the table. Anybody in the bottom half could go down, given Palace's yeah. form. Um, 
I, th I think Southampton and Bournemouth will go, and then it'll be any one of the others. You look at Leicester, you know, what they one point above the relegation zone, having played a game more. Forest, so yeah, I, I would go for Southampton and Bournemouth, and then any one of the others in the bottom half of the table at the moment. Who would think? Yeah. What do I think? Did you say? Yeah, do you, uh, the general consensus of most people I've spoken to have said Southampton, Bournemouth, and one other. Do you see it that way? I don't. I get. I get what people are saying with that, but like you say, everybody seems to have a win in them. Mm. I just think it's. The, I just think it's the quality of their players. When you look at them, you look at Leicester City squad in comparison to Southampton's. Yeah. And they're leap years apart. You look at West Ham squad in comparison to Bournemouth, and they're leap years apart. They just you know? shouldn't be there, should they? they that's the. That's the well, thing. They're, well, they're there on merit at the moment. Yeah. But they shouldn't be there. On, you know, they they have better within them. So, if if they revert to norm, you'd expect them to get out of it. But for Southampton and Bournemouth, I do fear for them. I I've got a feeling Southampton are gonna are gonna make it. I don't know why. I just got a funny fear. I think Bournemouth are doomed. Um, and, and this one's especially for Will because I'm sure he'd be listening I think West Ham have got a bit of a problem as well because they've suddenly stopped scoring goals so I could see I could see West Ham getting dragged into it a, a lot could, of they go, could they go down and win a European trophy this mm, season? That'd be ironic wouldn't it if that was to happen <laughs> but um, I, I can see you know, it, it really depends on how the fixtures have panned out as well I don't know who's playing what you didn't you know, you need to line them all up when you and see which has got the easiest run in but um, yeah, I, I think Bournemouth and West Ham and one other, and, and uh, that could even be Wolves, you know, because they're they're right up at the top end of. of they don't this, score uh, goals, do they? Yeah, no, not gonna they don't. Wings. You know, you know. I mean, the fact yeah, they had to rely on a screamer, didn't they, at the weekend? But Johnny's yeah. goal. I mean, yeah. Leeds Leeds scored four goals. Let, let's not forget that, and. and Away from home as well. That was a, that was from their perspective was a, a pretty good performance, and and uh, the new manager seems to have got them playing quite well. So there's goals in um, Rodrigo and Bamford as well yeah. in there for Leeds. You've got about a minute minute left, old dog. The difference is only minus nine, though. You know that's that's when you look at the table. Leeds' goal difference is minus nine. Bournemouth is minus twenty nine. Mm. You know, there's yeah. a big difference. Nottingham Forest minus twenty seven. So. If you've got a reasonably solid defence, you only need to score one goal. You know, I, th mm. I think somebody like Wolves, I think they've probably got enough quality to, to nick points. But they, they did a thing on on Friday Night Football where they they run it through some computer or something, and it was the two South Coast teams and Nottingham Forest. And if going by Steve's matrix, if you look at the goal difference of the teams in that bit, they're the three whose goal difference, goal difference is yeah. the worst. So, yeah. well, there we go. Surprised if it wasn't those three. Yeah, so you might be looking at Southampton, Bournemouth and Forest. We'll have to play this one back come the Things end of the season. Some. But the producer's saying wrap it up. So that's football bloody hell. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Listening to football, bloody hell! On Three Valleys Radio.